This is a Piccolo podcast production. Don't be scared, but we're heading back to Action Park, or Traction Park as it is commonly known. If you haven't already, go back and listen to Episode 4 in Season 1 and Episode 2 of Season 2 before proceeding, which goes through the sordid history of this amusement park. Our expert guest is producer, writer, and co-director of the Class Action Park documentary, Seth Porges. Class Action Park explores the legend, legacy and truth behind the notoriously dangerous Action Park and is available on Foxtel Now in Australia. I am your host, Andrew Metzl, and welcome back to Fairground Fuckups. Seth, welcome to the podcast. Congratulations on a fantastic documentary. Uh, You must be so pleased with the way it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. It's been awesome. Obviously, co-director, co-producer with my friend Chris Scott. So I want to make sure that all the credit is not hogged, but it's been been quite the ride. You're the perfect person to have on this podcast to talk about Action Park, because apart from this fantastic documentary, you went to Action Park as a child. You made a feature in 2013. You've been writing about it for a long time. So you know, Action Park intimately. And I guess what I want to sort of get to the the listener is that, I mean, to give you an idea of what this place was, didn't they have a whole staff member dedicated just to logging the accidents? Well, what you're talking about in the movie is is where one of our interviewees who, who was a staff member at the park talks about how his wife, her job for a period was to just create a, a spreadsheet of all the accidents. That was not her entire job. She was like an admin <laughs> and did that. I think if you're going to talk about how crazy this park is, there's a lot of other things that would be a lot more dramatic than somebody sitting in front of a computer logging a spreadsheet. I'll say. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But as a starting yeah. point, I think if you've got an employee whose job is to just log all the accidents at the yeah. park, you're doing something wrong. So Action Park was open from 78 to 96. So I guess first thing is, you know, you've been writing about Action Park for a while. Why do you think the story is important? It's a story that I think sticks with almost everybody who hears about it for the first time, whether they just have this vague idea about this dangerous amusement park with no rules, or if they know a lot more details of the story or seen our movie, for example. And I think it taps into, um, it makes people ask questions about themselves is what I think it is. I think there's, you know, when you hear about this, I think the natural next mental process is to ask yourself, would I have gone there? What would I have done if put in that circumstance? It becomes a thought experiment for how you would react in the, uh, given the choice between unlimited fun and freedom and common sense and safety. And I think especially right now, that's a question like a lot of people are asking themselves. It's a question very much in the news. It's a question that is sort of almost a defining question of our time. It, like, where does common sense and safety end and, and freedom begin? And I, and I think Action Park is this ultimate distillation of that question. I, I totally agree. One thing I think is interesting from the Australian perspective in is, and I wonder how much you know about Australia, but we seem to be a more regulated country than America. And therefore, I think that, you know, the theoretical and the philosophical questions around Action Park, maybe Australians will view Action Park a little bit more harshly because we, you know, are much more regulated than America. So I think from the Australian point of view, I'm probably going to come at Action Park as probably, um, you know, a bit more negatively, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think like a lot of people, they they begin to ask themselves a question after really learning a lot about Action Park, which is which is a basic one. Was this 
place a good thing or a bad thing. And I don't think that's the right way to approach Action Park because it clearly was a good thing for a lot of people in a sense that they came away with important memories, formative experiences. Uh, they did things that were magical and beautiful and insane, but, but great. But at the same time, it was a terrible place. It was a place where people got hurt and some people got killed. And I think the reason Action Park is so interesting is because it doesn't really fall into that easy answer. It was both. And I think that's important because life is both, you know, like everything we do in life is good and bad has upsides and downsides, pros and cons. And I think we, it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of trying to like neatly categorize things as good or bad. And I think action park is so interesting because of how tricky it is. And I think there's a lot of things that are really tricky in that way. Um, and I think even more than that, like the reason this movie, I think really struck a nerve, especially for people who aren't from New Jersey and didn't go to action park may not even be from the United States is because it really, I think, tapped into this emotion, this feeling that was pervasive growing up in the 80s for sure, but maybe for kids today, today which is a sense that you can have these experiences and be super grateful that you had this great time. I'm so glad I was able to do that, but simultaneously be horrified that those experiences existed and know that they were wrong and they were messed up and that never should have been able to happen in the first place. And I think it's a really interesting kind of hard to verbalize concept, this simultaneous, like the duality of nostalgia, of nostalgia where things you look back at so fondly but you know we're so horrific mm. and i think action park is sort of the ultimate embodiment of that feeling oh absolutely and you know i do feel i grew up in the 80s as well and uh you know in australia it was the same as you know you've described that you could go out on your bike all day and your parents would just wait for you to come home and it wasn't like the helicopter parenting we have now and you know that is certainly prevalent in action park the kids would just go there for this wild time but i guess you know why i sort of come down quite harshly on it is and i'm curious on your opinion because i just think gene mulverhill comes across as a crook i mean that's well he was you know, he was a crook <laughs> i mean it's, uh, yeah 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 it's um and yeah, because he, he was a crook. And yeah. he seemed to have no um, care for anything but profit. So, um, you know, you point out he started his own insurance company to get insurance. So he knew, you know, he couldn't get insurance because it was too dangerous. Yeah, well, you know, I think yes and no. I don't think profit was all there was to it. I think he had, like, as if he wanted to make money, there's other ways to make money, right? Like, there's less risky ways. There's, you know, nobody just opens a theme park to make money, right? I, I think that what was driving him was, was money, but I think it was power. I think it was control. I think it was a, 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 a philosophical disdain for rules. I think the more people told him no, the more he wanted to prove them wrong. Um, I think also to some degree, he legitimately wanted to create this place that was really fun, that could give people these great experiences. So I don't think it was just money. Money was certainly there, absolutely. But I, I think it was, there, there was an, something in his psyche that manifested in Action Park that is very specific and very unique and very, and not purely profit driven, although profit was a huge part of it. Yeah. And then there's the um, element that he seemed to, whenever something happened at the park, you know, he didn't pay out anybody. Um, Absolutely. You, you know, you yeah. interviewed George's family and it's a really sad story about, you know, George passed away at Action Park. And I look back at it and I think, okay, I know it was a different time and he may have um, felt that, you know, there's overregulation and people should be allowed personal freedom, but it also went with complete lack of care for the patrons at his park. Absolutely. I think that's undeniable that the way he treated the injuries and, and even the deaths was at times callous. It, it's difficult to justify, 
I, I, I don't think anybody doubts that. And I think it's speaking to the Larson family who suffered this enormous personal tragedy at the park. I think it really kind of came to life because a lot of what's out there about the park, there's this myth about Action Park that's come up over the years. It was the idea is that Action Park was this magical fantasy land where you were given the freedom to do whatever you wanted. And if you got hurt, it's because you didn't know your own limits or you pushed things too far or you were an idiot, right? Or you were acting unsafe. And I don't think that's true. A lot of people got hurt at Action Park because they did things that were stupid. Absolutely. But a lot of people got hurt because some of the rides were just fundamentally unsafe or they were sharing space with other people who were acting stupidly or drunk. Um, and so this idea that Action Park was this ultimate place of freedom where if you got hurt, it was somehow your fault is a myth that has stuck around for decades that I think is not true. And I think uh, once you begin to realize that, I think it quickly sobers your one's views about what this place was. Yeah, because I mean, we'll go through the rides in, in a bit more detail, but the rides seem designed, even if you're like me, who follows other rules and you get on something and you, you do what you're told, you still could end up with a broken arm or something through no fault of your own. So yeah, it seems very, very like a wild place, but I guess sort of, you, you know, you went there as a child to Action Park. Can you give us an insight into the sort of atmosphere in New Jersey that fostered this kind of environment? Because, you know, okay, so I, I've laid into Jean pretty, Jean and pretty hard, but, you know, you make the point that also a lot of people went there to just go wild, get drunk, have fights. You know, they could tell that it was a pretty sort of free and easy environment. So I guess what was the atmosphere in Jersey that fostered this? Absolutely. It was utter pure, lawless chaos. I mean, lots of comparisons. The Lord of the Flies appear anytime somebody talks about Action Park and, and with good reason. But there's something different. 1980s in general, where it was an era of, la of latchkey kids and minimal parental supervision and kind of kids going out on their own. What made Action Park a little different, though, was that it was all of that within the perceived safety of an amusement park. Like when you go to Disneyland, you just assume that everything that presents, that reads as dangerous within the storytelling of the environment is storytelling. That the Tower of Terror isn't actually going to drop you down and kill you, right? <laughs> that these are things that are worked into the mythology and the storytelling. And you, you're you free to like, you know, bump around, everything's rubber coated, you'll be fine. At Action Park, you had that same sort of perception of safety that comes from being an amusement park, but in actuality, the activities were closer to extreme sports, closer to skiing or rock climbing or things that truly are dangerous if you don't take the proper precautions. But to add on top of that too, you have this very specific time and place, 1980s, this crazy time. Top of that, New Jersey, this crazy place where really the, this feeling that permeated there, especially with like the teenagers, the kids at the time, was a sense of one-upsmanship. Uh, one of our interview subjects put it basically very well, which is back then he says, we tried to die for fun. And I think something that may not be <laughs> obvious to, to kids today is how much what fun was in the 1980s was how close can we push ourselves to the precipice of dying without actually going over the edge? Can we jump off that house into the pool? Can we sneak into that abandoned mental hospital? Can we get into a fight with those people? Can we do whatever it is without actually facing any real long-term consequences? And you have this invincibility that comes with youth and perhaps the alcohol on top of that. So Action Park was all of these things. And then on top of that, when these people are acting like idiots, when they're getting into trouble, when they're pushing things too far, getting into fights, there was just very little in terms of everybody saying, don't do that. There's very little in terms of rules or rules enforcement. There was free flowing of alcohol. It all kind of boiled up and boiled over into this very unique circumstance to the point where Action Park is probably, you know, at some points, the craziest place you can imagine on the entire planet. Wow. Um, 
So what's your um, feed? Have you got any feedback from the Mulver Hill since the documentary has been released? I know, I think you interviewed Andy for your special in 2013, um, but has anything, have they responded at all? Not, not to me. Uh, they haven't. Uh, but I mean, he's been depressed a little bit because uh, he has a book uh, mm. about Action Bark that came out around around the same time. And he's been out there and it, clearly, you know, it's a moment. People, that book came out or movie came out. Like people are talking about Action Park. And um, I have to imagine part of him uh, feels it's really cool to see his childhood kind of like put on the stage in this in this way and have the spotlight shined on it. I mean, I think a lot of people who grew up going to the park, people who grew up working at the park in particular, they feel the sense of pride that people are kind of looking at the experiences they had as kids and, and saying those mattered, those were important, those are interesting, those are worth saving and talking about. And that's got to be a, a special feeling, I think. It is worth talking about. I mean, I think I could do like 20 podcast episodes on Action Park. It's full of stuff. I mean, what are your memories of going there as a kid? I mean, what, how did you go there a lot? No, I was only I was only there a couple times, um, and I was there very young, and so I, I and you survived. Memories, You're alive. And I survived, uh, but my memories are I was very young, and my memories are very vague and, and blurry and fuzzy. And I think that's what drove me to investigate this was this idea that I remember seeing people jump off twenty five foot cliffs. I remember fights breaking out. I remember a looping looping water slide, a water slide that goes in a full loop. I remember these things that just didn't make sense. And as I got older, I became very interested in sort of investigating, like what was that true you know and i'm a journalist so i was like be a journalist here let's actually mm. see what's going on and what i found as i've said before is that there was just really not much out there in terms of reporting it was mostly just these myths and tall tales or it seemed like myths and tall tales of course they were all true but uh but nobody really believed them uh and as you look into it you realize that sort of the stories that were out there in almost like this oral history fashion the articles that we are new jersey have put out there the, the murmurs the whispers those are just the tip of the iceberg like there's so much and it was so like the chances it wasn't like a place where the occasional weird, crazy thing happened. It was a place where any given visitor at any given day was going to see stuff that will blow their mind. And so there's millions of stories, just millions. Uh, Yeah, I feel that actually even some of these urban legends kind of permeated to Australia because, you know, I used to hear you go into amusement parks and there was all these whispers about, you know, I'm sure I heard the teeth in the water slide thing, even out here, you know, just those little things that would permeate and you didn't know if they were true. And, um, you know, you go into a water park and you think, oh my God, is there going to be like a teeth or razor blade stuck in the slide? So I think it did sort of permeate across. Um, well, in, in the air, when you're at Action Park, I remember going to the park. And one thing I do remember is people calling it Accident Park and calling it Traction Park and calling it Class Action Park while you're there. You know, you'll be walking by this looping water slide and everybody's just mumbling. And like, I heard some kid got stuck in there. I heard they had to put a, a hatch <laughs> in there to, to get him out. I, I heard all those things. And so by the time you're, you're in the park for an hour, you've heard all of these rumors, all this, you know, the place you're in and you also know you can do whatever you want. And it would sort of unlock people's worst instincts. There's almost sense that people would have to prove, to see once and for all for themselves, is this place as crazy as I've heard it? Can I actually do whatever I want? Can I do these things? And it just permeates the air and and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, you made a great point and you say the entrance just straight away, you hit with the the loop to loop water slide. Right at the gates. And you're like, okay, this is not Disneyland. This is not it like any other action park. And, you know, I think the loop to loop water side was that that's the one with the escape hatch. And uh, yeah, they had to put a hatch in because people weren't making it all the way through. The thing about that slide is it never worked right. You know, they tried for years. We talked about in the movie how 
bribe employees with $100 bills, $50, $50 for the younger employees is actually the truth, but <laughs> they would bribe bribe employees with $100 bills to serve as guinea pigs and to go, to go down this thing. They would, they would bribe employees with $100 bills to serve as guinea pigs and, and go down this thing. And I mean, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And it was really only open for a short period of time. And it never worked, right? Because I mean, everybody's body's different. Your water flow is different. Your friction is different. You, you, you go on a roller coaster, they strap you in and it's guaranteed you're going to make it to the end. But in this thing here, if you put your arms out and stop yourself, lose all your speed, you might be stuck. The water flow isn't right. Body's the wrong shape. Body's the wrong size. Body's the wrong weight. You're not going to make it through. Or you just go up and smash your face. It never worked right. Where did Jane get that? Well, literally, he. the story is he drew it on a napkin. And it was like, this, this, this seems like a great idea. And then hired some local welders to build it. And they did. I mean, a lot of these rides were built with, with, that, with very minimal planning, modeling, oftentimes no knowledge of physics or engineering. It was really like, this seems like a good idea. Can we build it? All right, what's going to happen? And I think there's something amazing about that. I think there's something that really does capture the imagination uh, because it kind of feels like you're playing SimCity or Roller Coaster Tycoon. It feels like a video game. It's like, here's this idea for a ride. Let's build it and see what happens. Now, there's no way that should happen in real life. But the fact that it did is like, draws you in it's crazy oh, absolutely it's, crazy. it's like when you're yeah. a kid you know you might build crazy things in your front yard and but gene's doing it on a much was doing it on a much bigger scale um I, like i found some things really surprising like you spend a bit of time in the documentary going through i think the tarzan swing which is yeah literally just a rope that you swing over water by the looks of it i mean how can you stuff that up like i don't understand but it sounds like they did well we, can you clarify what you mean by stuff that up because i am an american and <laughs> well mess it up Oh, how do you mess up? Okay, well, well, think about all that can go wrong with with these rides, which again, what made Action Park different was these rides are what, what Gene called self-participation rides. You are an active participant in these rides. You control them. You determine your speed, your heights, whether you make it to the end on these things. And you're given a lot of freedom in that result. So, so Tarzan Swing, for instance, you grab onto this bar and you swing onto the water. Well, here's all the things that could go wrong. You grab onto the bar and you just slip and instantly fall and hit your head on the platform behind you. You face plant. You get a concussion on the on the platform on the way back. Um, you belly flop and just get screwed screamed at by an observation gallery of a hundred drunk people from New Jersey screaming ah, at you. Or or the water that you would land in was just ice cold. That part of the park was was natural spring water. If you say natural spring water with, with trout in it, it was freezing. It was freezing and people would literally go into shock. They literally forget how to swim. People they pulled out all the time. People who might have thought themselves to be expert swimmers. But you hit freezing water and then boom, your body just is out of your control. Even like something simple like a, a rope swing would be dangerous dangerous um, but not nearly as dangerous as the alpine slide now that is where unfortunately george larson jr died in an accident yeah and I, that, and the, yeah a very powerful part of the documentary and i love the way you know you constructed the narrative and you know you brought people in and then showed a different side to the park that really as sort of made you question you know everything leading up to that and so yeah really love that part of the documentary the way you're able to do that but you know that poor you know, young man dying on that ride and alpine slides what you detail seem to have accidents every day yes uh hundreds i mean that ride we are told on a, on a weekday would have 50 to 100 injuries every single day on a weekend you could double that so hundreds of injuries a day i'm, I'm just that one ride that one ride uh it was to the point where if you went to action park and you went on that ride 
it wasn't just like a freak occurrence if you got injured. It was a reasonable percentage of people got injured on that ride. They would just fly off it. I mean, this thing was poorly designed. The 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 width, the, the lip on the side wasn't wasn't high enough. So people would go into turns. And if you didn't know exactly how to hit the brake or distribute your body weight into a bank, uh, you were just going to fly off. And when you fly off, as we, the area around the ride was just rock. Uh, we talked about in the park how the state actually ordered them to remove those rocks, and they didn't. They just flat out didn't. And when George Larson was on the Alpine slide, he flew off of it, and he hit his head on one of those rocks, and he ended up he ended up tragically dying. But beyond him, I mean, there were so many countless injuries that occurred on that ride on just any given day. And that is absolutely wild. And top of that, the thing that makes it really crazy is it's also a really fun ride. You know, people knew it was dangerous. You got to the top, and you'd see images of gory, bloody people showing off their injuries as a warning, saying like, no, this is serious. You really need to know this is a dangerous ride. Still, people go on it all day long and they get injured all day long. As a filmmaker, you know, how did you find sort of once you got into, you know, dealing with George Larson's family? And I mean, that must have been incredibly um, moving. Absolutely. It was, I, I, I say this with um, uh, humbly, it, w- it was the hardest interview I've ever had to do in my life. I mean, it was, I knew it was so intense, the emotions, the rawness of this pent up feelings they had, you know, when we got in touch with them, they told them, you know, the accident happened 39 years earlier. In that time, nobody had reached out to them to ask them to tell their side of the story, what happened. They were eager to talk because they had a lot to say. And there was this myth out there about what Action Park was that they felt needed to be corrected. It's great that you were able to get them on then and they could tell their story because I mean, that's when you get sort of, I don't know, I get a bit upset and angry that this poor family you know, the accident itself, but then afterwards they were just completely, um, I mean, Gene just did not handle that well at all. No, I, th- I think that's inarguable. I think I think that is one of the most shocking things that we uncovered was being able to speak to the family and kind of understand sort of the blow by blow, the play by play about how the injury and death were handled from the park and how they basically made it go away. The park was really good at making these things go away. You know, we talked about in the movie how he basically forced you to trial, make it as long and painful as he could if you got injured. Then if you want to pay out, he just would simply refuse to pay unless you sent the U.S. Marshals to his door to collect. And, you know, as we say in the movie, that happened on some regular regularity. Um, after the film came out, a lawyer actually reached out to me who was uh, put into the unenviable task of having to collect the money with us marshals after one payout. Uh, and then, you know, there's, there's a few, you know, more than one death. The the kayak death um, where someone got out of a kayak and was electrocuted just seems incredible that the, the they, I don't even think the park, you say they never took responsibility. They shut the ride down. When they, they shut the ride down. They claimed they, they never took responsibility. Uh, still some mystery about the exact specifics about how everything occurred there. Uh, they they said that the reason they shut the ride down was not because it was dangerous or because it would be too intimidating to possible riders. I think that's for sure. Um, the perverse <laughs> thing about Action Park is if they had kept that open, it probably would have been the most popular ride there because everybody wanted the more people knew things were dangerous the more they wanted to do them. That's what's so crazy about Action Park. Excuse me, we featured a photo of that ride in the film. And that photo came in very late in the game, I'll say, while we we're making a movie. And up until then, there was the ride was not open very long before the death occurred. And there's really very little out there in terms of like photo video of this ride. And I'd never actually seen a photo or video 
of an operation, but somebody sent me that photo and it was dated. Uh, they had written a date on it, uh, sort of stamped from the photo development place. And it was actually taken on the exact day the death occurred. Wow. What an eerie coincidence. Right. Uh, yeah. One thing that I would like to say to the listeners is Class Action Park is so worth watching because the imagery and the archival footage that you weave through the story really does bring to life this what we're talking about now, you know, I don't know how you were able to get all that footage, but congratulations because, you know, it, it feels like you're there. Absolutely. Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was a treasure hunt. Uh, you know, we were just so grateful that people who had these, these home movies wanted to be a part of our film and let us use them and to share their memories. The film would not have been the same without them. Uh, we're grateful for it. If anybody here gave us their movies, we're super grateful for you. Uh, it, it really allowed us to transport people back into this time. And I think, you know, one of the reasons nobody had probably ever done an action park documentary before is because I think people assumed that a water park in the 1980s are just to be minimal archival because who's got a big camcorder at a water park, right? In the 80s, it's getting wet. It's before cell phones, before camera Mm. phones. And it was amazing how many people actually did this? How many people brought their Super 8 cameras or their camcorders or whatever it was to the water park and held on to these videos all these years? And that that video really does sort of twig the nostalgia in, you know, you know, people from that generation, because it's, it's like, it's, you know, you're going back in looking at a time capsule or something. Um, and I, I think that really brings into the power of the documentary because, you know, you just paying that little bit of nostalgia and then you sort of hit them hard at the end. We wanted to bring people back in time. You know, we didn't, there's no recreations in this movie. There's no like dramatic scenes of an actor playing Gene, doing some deal making, <laughs> nothing like that. It's all, it's all real. You know, it's all, it all actually happened. Everything you see on screen, except for the animations, of course, uh, everything you see on screen is, was, was something that actually physically happened, motions that people made, settings that actually existed. It, it was transportive, I think. We wanted to make something where you would feel like you were back in this time and place. The other place uh, in the park that seems particularly dangerous is the grave pool. And uh, grave pool. This, yeah. this crazy wave pool and uh, more than one person drowned in this pool. I mean, it just, again, it's it sounds like a normal wave pool, but on steroids or something. Yeah, it was one of the first wave pools. It might have even been the first wave pool in the country. It uh, And they didn't quite figure out that you couldn't just jack these things up to 11 and keep it up all day. You know, typically you go to a wave pool at an amusement park today, it'll be like gentle waves for five minutes and like 30 minutes of, of no waves, right? And then another five minutes of gentle waves, repeat. Mm. Action Park wave pool wasn't like that. It was like 25, 30 minutes of solid, intense, six foot, seven foot, eight foot waves. Then like five minutes of quiet to scan for bodies. And then like another 25 minutes. And it was wall to wall people, just super packed. Uh, people were very aggressive. It was impossible to tell who people were drowning or just like playing around. The water was very murky. It was very difficult to see through the water because it was so unclean uh, from all the mud and other sorts of runoff that was was occurring from a nearby hill. And so it was very difficult for anybody to say tell what was happening. We talked about in the movie that it's one area uh, where where the water would become kind of shoulder height and go over your head when the waves hit that the lifeguards refer to as the death zone Ooh. because so many near de- near drownings or drownings would occur there. And that the lifeguard chair that sat at that spot was known as the death chair. Were you ever able to sort of lock down how many people passed away at Action Park? Okay, so if you're going to talk about deaths that occurred from rides or tractions at the park, it's five or six. There's one death out there that I'm pretty sure happened, but it's very thinly sourced, kind of that's often repeated. So let's just say five solid ones. Uh, There are other deaths that occurred that I don't think it's actually fair to blame on the park, like 
somebody slipping and falling and did hemophilia and like bled to death. That happened. Or there was a school bus found a way to action park had an accident. I don't know if a school bus, a bus on the way to action park had an accident and numerous people died in that. Um, so it, the place was over a magnet for freak occurrences as would happen when you have a million people a year kind of going to the spot. Stuff's going to happen. But I think all of those deaths, unfortunately, were avoidable. And I think that's what's um, frightening about them. Yeah, very frightening. Do you know sort of at the time what the sort of media reaction was to Action Park? I mean, everybody knew it was dangerous. Everybody knew what it was. Yeah, it was no secret. And what the park quickly realized, though, was every time the newspaper ran a story saying that this place was an injury trap, people get hurt, more people would come. They, they knew that like that became a part of the appeal and the park knew this and they, they some degree they leaned into it. It was no secret. It was no mystery what this place was. I said, yeah, I remember going there and people calling it Accident Park, calling it Traction Park, but they got away with it for a very long time. It became a very popular place. And when it closed, it wasn't because of regulators. It wasn't because of lawsuits. It was because of bankruptcy. You know, I think that's, again, just does show the difference between America and Australia, because when there's things like that have happened at amusement parks here, there's sort of um, political correctness police are onto it very quickly and you know, they sort of shut it down. You know, I think there's that sort of theoretical difference in the, the two countries um, in, in, in a certain sense. But it's amazing that it was just able to go on and, and no one at the time was like, okay, well, this has to stop. Yeah, nobody. It really is amazing that that, that yeah. happened. It truly, truly is. Yes. You know, is there anything you sort of wanted to put in the documentary? You couldn't fit in any crazy stories that... I mean, there's so many stories. And there's so many stories that kind of came to us after we were uh, done making the movie as well. Anything jump out you know, at you? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you... Gene became very interested in using ozone as a way of kind of cleaning and disinfecting swimming pools. And they didn't quite figure out that you really shouldn't turn the ozone levels up past a certain limit. So one day it was on one ride, zero the wave pool at a Colorado River ride. Somebody listening might know. Uh, they said to crank, they crank the ozone up way too high. And numerous people passed out and were unconscious on the ride. It was just like the entire ride was full of pa- – it's like when um, – like the beginning of Tenet, if you've seen it, where like the whole opera is just like gassed and passed out. It was like this entire ride full of people are just passed out suddenly. So wow. Wild That's stuff. Cr- it's amazing nobody drowned from that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. And and the other thing that actually um, you made the point that, that, you know, the staff at Action Park were all kids. And yeah. I, I, I do not – look at the staff in any badly at all because no. if you're a young 15 year old kid given a job you're just going to do what they do which is go crazy you know have fun drink um you know you described the love shack or something where it's a bit of yes. a hookup spot for um the staff i mean that to me just that's a, more about the management above that are bad than them yeah and, and our point of including that stuff wasn't to make the stuff look bad i think it was more about the show this is a mm. place that people came of age and a, and a formative experience and also to kind of like really bring to life as much as we could what it was like to grow up in the 80s and that freewheeling almost 80s movie atmosphere that that actually was there um any of the staff like um i don't know describe to you that i guess you know that their experiences had stayed with them for a long time i can imagine you know if oh, you're yeah. seeing someone dragged off a ride with broken limbs that stuff's hard to forget i thought about this quite a bit what you know I, i've gotten to know a very large number of people who grew up in vernon and people who grew up working at the park and you begin this i, I have insane respect for them. Um, They all, it's kind of amazing, I think, what this does to somebody working in this place in which this atmosphere of danger and trauma is kind of in the air so much. And I thought about this quite a bit. And it's, I think, made made those people, now adults, 
very resilient, very hardy, a very dark sense of humor. And I think when you kind of hear them talk about their experiences, the way they're sort of like chuckling at these things, uh, I think it, 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 pervi- it, it, I think I don't, that's not them laughing at these things because they think it's funny. That's a coping mechanism. Mm. That's how our, that's how our bodies sort of deal with, with growing up under such strange and intense circumstances. And I, I think it, it makes really interesting folks. Oh, definitely. And I, I like the correlation you draw between that generation that grew up in that time that, that is sort of now the helicopter parents that yeah. are always hovering above their kids. I mean, you know, I was, as I said before, I could just go out bike riding all day. One day I went out, broke my arm, just came home with a broken arm, told my mum and she was like, okay, well, we'll see how you go in the morning. Exactly. And that was the eighties that, you know, yep. I, I think my mum even put tiger balm on my broken arm, which is not the thing to do. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting you draw that correlation. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what it was. I think one of the things that we've really, the mystery we set to solve, so to speak, was why is it that the latchkey kids of yesteryear are today's helicopter parents? You know, it's the same people. Mm. And, um, and, and really what I think it comes down to is this idea that these people had these incredible, crazy, insane experiences. They also got injured themselves, had friends who got injured, had friends who died, had friends who didn't make it. And they look back at these things and are like, I would do anything I could to keep my own kids from experiencing and growing up how I did. Yeah, um, definitely. Well, a couple of last questions, Seth. Firstly, how's the documentary gone? Um, you know, it's been successful. I mean, it's, I, yeah, as yeah, I said, it's I loved great. it. <laughs> yeah, it's right. been awesome. It's been unbelievable seeing the response. I mean, it really struck a nerve. I think it really struck a nerve of people in, you know, this pandemic time as well. It's, it's both um, escape from things, you know, imagine being in a water park in the 80s right mm. now. That, that yeah. doesn't sound nice, right? <laughs> but it also, I think, raises a lot of the questions that we are grappling with today in a subtle way in terms of, again, like these questions about what, how much, how much is too much when it comes to regulation, when it comes to f- just being a freewheeling, chaotic person, like all of these questions where we think about, I think it, it serves as a as a Rosetta stone for these dark instincts that I think we all have be people being drawn to danger. You know, I think we, as humans, I think the very appeal of your podcast is that there's something exciting about places that promise to be fun and end up being terrifying. There's something innately exciting about that. And I think action park is such a, a firm representation of that because again, it wasn't some freak fairground accident like some of the other stories you're dealing with. It was the it was baked into the story. It was what you were going to Action Park for. It was part of the appeal. It was the one place, unlike say a Ferris wheel accident, is a place where you're making a decision to be in the lion's nest, to be mm. in the face of this danger and to deal with it. And I think, again, it raises these questions, these thought experiments where we as viewers, as people looking back, ask ourselves, what would I have done? And that's, a, that's, a, that, that's not, it's not an easy question to answer, I think. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, you know, it's easy when a roller coaster breaks to sort of deal with that. Okay. You can understand something breaks, yeah. but harder to understand what looks like a broken kind of society almost in some ways. Um, and, and then well, what's next, Seth? I mean, as I said, you can watch Class Action Park on yeah. Binge and Foxtel. What, what's next for you? I got some stuff in the works, but you know how it is in terms of having to be vague and coy. Mm, Oh, absolutely. uh, So I'll just give you guys a big stay tuned. How about that? Great. Well, um, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really think Class Action Park will will resonate with Australian audiences and has done already. And uh, best of luck with your next project. It's great to be here. Thank you very much.